It does not matter what I do. If I am treating people the way that I should, if I treat them as if they're really Christ and I would just want to love them and be with them and care for them and try to understand them, then any job would be like one of the best and most impactful jobs that I could have. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, we are all the composite of our experiences, choices, reactions, and responses, and Leah Darrow is no exception. And she joins us on the show today to teach us all about the made-for-more mentality. Leah is a international Catholic speaker, author of The Other Side of Beauty, and the host of the Doing Something Beautiful podcast. She is also the founder of Lux U and a former model and contestant on America's Next Top Model. But she wants you to know that those things aren't even the most important parts of her life. She is the proud wife of her husband, Ricky, who she married at the age of 33, the mother to their four beautiful children ages nine months to five years old. She is a superhero comic book nerd and will often spend time reading plot theories about Marvel and DC Comics. She holds a master's in theology and a bachelor's in psychology, and she considers these things the most interesting things about her. And still, an important moment in her journey is the time that she spent pursuing a modeling career and her brief experience 15 years ago on America's Next Top Model. We talk about all of these things and the lessons that she learned throughout her modeling career about the difference between the world's view of beauty and real beauty, about being used to sell someone else's story or product. And newsflash, you don't have to be a model to have experience being used or being told to tell someone else's story. And this is something we also talk about. Unfortunately, when it comes to beauty today, we've distorted it so that it's almost exclusively pertains to the physical aspects of beauty these days. And at that time, during Leah's modeling career, that's what she was pursuing. But she got fed up with it. She didn't want to be known as a pretty picture or a pretty girl, and she certainly didn't want to get used to sell other people's products or stories. So today, Leah is concerned with the beauty of the soul, the beauty of someone who is compassionate, who is generous, who forgives, who dives deep into friendships. That is the type of beauty that remains with you throughout time and is why people who engage in that type of a lifestyle have a lot of beauty around them and in them and people and others are attracted to them. And Leah is on a mission to help other women specifically tap into their God-given potential and let it shine, which is why she created LuxU, a first-of-its-kind online learning program for specifically Catholic women who want to be informed, inspired, and empowered in their faith. 
So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and regardless of your faith, regardless of your background, brace for impact because I know that Leah's story is going to breathe life into your story. All right. So Leah, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. So excited to have you and and talk about building the made for more mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to uh, chat with you today. We always kick things off with getting to know you. You know, I, you you and I know some similar people, um, but I don't know you, and you don't know me. So we're going to spend some time getting to know you today. So I want to know from this past weekend what your high and low was. So my high was that I was supposed to go out of town um, for a trip, and we ended up. I ended up rescheduling it, so I got to be home. With my husband and my four kids, and uh, I'm in a busy season right now of travel. So any extra time that I can spend just doing nothing with my family is precious. So that was definitely my high, and my low was probably just about a few seconds ago. My two of my kids teamed up and dumped out an entire tub of oatmeal onto two stacks of clean laundry. And that was my low. Yeah. Mm. That's my low. Yeah. Yeah. So that clean laundry is now, you know, it's now um it's now like, you know, organic because it's been rolling oats. It is. It's dusty. <laughs> and um I will not rewash it. I I refuse <laughs> such nonsense. It will not happen. Everybody will just wear dusty oatmeal clothes and underwear for the next go around until I do laundry again. So yeah. So that was my definitely my low, but you know, um, if that's my load, then life pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And it was your, you know, your beautiful children that made the mess. So you, you, you know, you can't kill them. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. But there is there are, there are laws against that. Yes. Now, what was your first job that had the most meaningful impact on you? Oh gosh, my first job, most meaningful impact. Geez, making me go back to like, you know. I'm sure there, there there could be something prior to this, but I was working in the neurology department at Washington University of St. Louis, Missouri. And at WashU, um, there I was working in the neurology department there, and I was working underneath the neuropsychologist. And I was my job title was a um, it was it was called a psych- psychometrist, which is it sounds really fancy and like I'm. Super amazing, but I'm not. So I would I would conduct all the paper and pencil tests after my boss, the neuropsychologist, evaluated the patient, and then I would conduct these tests to find out kind of like really what parts of their brain are working or not working, um, or to create a baseline. So I would see people for a variety of different issues. It could be somebody with a traumatic brain injury, somebody with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, um, early stages or late stages to see how they're progressing. Or what's an impact with that? And in working with the, with those types of patients who are going through such a just enormous life change and dealing with what they can do or not able to do anymore, their memory that's failing, their motor skills that are not working as well, uh, words that can't come to them anymore that they used to know, um, was was something very. There's something very humbling, obviously, about that. And I got a chance to be with them when they felt the most vulnerable, when they felt like 
wow, I'm really showing how much I don't know or how bad my disease is progressing. I got to be there with them and encourage them and let them know like, look, you're, 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 you're doing great. Let's keep going. And I got to be with those, with those people for a very short time in their life. And for me, I just took on the Mother Teresa mentality. Mm. So Mother Teresa, every time she was with somebody, it was her, her personal goal. She said this in prayer and in her own journaling. That when she encountered someone, that she made sure that when she looked at them, she believed that she was looking at Jesus himself. Mm. And she she believed that if she talked to them, held them, treated them, and engaged engaged with them in a way that she was actually approaching Jesus, then she would be kinder, more compassionate, more loving. And so that's how she began just this this extra layer of compassion in her life. And so that moved me. I've always been very inspired by Mother Teresa. And so I, in that, in that role, began to do the same thing. And I think if I had taken that mentality at any job, any job, when I was a lifeguard in high school, I think I could have answered that question with one of those jobs. But it was at this point later in life when I began to have... I changed my mentality. I changed the framework of of my thinking, of how I engage with people. And that's the moment. That was the first job where I realized it does not matter what I do. If I am treating people the way that I should, if I treat them as if they're really Christ, and mm-hmm. I would just want to love them and be with them and care for them and try to understand them, then any job would be like one of the best and most impactful jobs that I could have. Mm-hmm. So that was the first job that mm-hmm. I did when I took on that mentality. And since then I do that to this day. So like every little thing that I do, praise be to God, like I take, I carry that mentality with me and it becomes impactful in the world because of it. That is a very powerful story. And it reminds me of something that John O'Leary shared with me. And I think, you know, he's from St. Louis as well, which kind of, I think in your neck of the woods. Um, but Yes, um, yes, I, I know John, yes. So one of the things he said to me at that he, when he goes into a meeting, Sometimes he says this verbally, but more often than not, it's just to the, you know, he says it to himself. He, he walks into a room and he looks at the people and he says, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. That sounds like John. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely sounds like John. And it's perfect. It's, and it can make people feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is a sign of our culture and our time of why we need you know, people like John or even the mentality of what he's doing for us to replicate that in our own life. Mm-hmm. And so, because we need to connect on a more human level because people aren't projects, people aren't deadlines, people are not profits. Mm. And until that we engage with the people around us in our personal life and our business life, we're, we, will, we will not make the impact that the world needs. We will actually just set us back and our human connection and productivity will suffer. Mm, mm. Dude, that was a mic drop moment. <laughs> 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 I love it. You know, um, I want to I want to talk about some more about uh, your your kind of um, upbringing and things that have brought you created you into the person that you are today. One of the, my favorite questions. It's always a surprise to hear people's answers. Is who was your favorite? Who not favorite? Who was your childhood hero? 
it could be a real person. It could be a family member. It could be a, uh, you know, a, a fictional character. Like, for example, I'll give you, a, a, I had this woman named Dr. Kara Miller on a while back, phenomenal developmental psychologist. And I asked her this question and she shared that her favorite, her, her childhood hero was Amy Grant. And she actually got really emotional because Amy Grant meant so much to her in terms of her, you know, breaking the norms of, you know, what it meant to be a music artist and that, you know, you know, she was one of the first female um, soloists out there, you know, and, and so that, that was an example that she gave. If I was just to give an impulse answer, I probably would say She-Ra. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that, that's a weird insight into my life. What um, year were you born again? <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 79. Okay, we're I, the same I mean, age, yeah. Yeah, so Shira was just super powerful. And I loved her because she was always helping people. And she had a team around her. She never did it alone. She was really concerned about her team in general and the team of people that were with her. And she, she, she needed like supernatural help with her sword and everything mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. to... To get the job done. And like, I know this sounds crazy, but this is me, so it doesn't matter. But I really love that. I grew up um, where faith was really important in my family. And so um, I, we all knew that, like, it is through the power of Christ that you do things. It is Christ Himself who gives you the grace to do the good in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it was like Christ was my sword and I was Shira. And I was like, I'm going to do anything. And so, um, <laughs> If you could combine Catholicism with Shira, I guess you'd have me. So that, there you that's, go. That's amazing. Yeah, and the the uh, the male version of Shira was He Man, right? They were like the the didn't they actually appear together in a cartoon at one point? He Man and uh, Shira. Oh, absolutely, they did. Absolutely, <laughs> I forget. I was I was really into Thundercats during that period of time. Thundercats was all also a favorite of mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk. I want to get your take on some p- current pop culture things that are that are happening. Uh, because you, as we will learn in a little bit, you were like, you know, thoroughly into what has become kind of the norm in terms of what people think uh, of culture, right? Of the of the culture, uh, pop culture, anyway. Um, and so there's two things. There's there's two things I want to get your opinion on. The first is the Fry Festival. If you watch that documentary on Netflix. Did you watch that? I have not. I've seen the preview for it, but I have not watched it yet. No. Okay. Well, I want, I want, I want, I think you should watch it. And I think it would be really good for you to actually write a blog post or something about it because, um, because of the, the impact that quote unquote influencers have on our life and the amount of money that people spend to go participate in these events and how everybody was just ripped off and duped and especially the poor people of the Bahamas who got who basically worked uh, slave labor hours and were never paid. So we'll we'll I want you to look watch that and then and then maybe we can come back another time and, and talk about it. But right now a movement that's going on actually that I'm sure you've heard about and I think that in its in its core, it's it's okay, but I think it's it's a little bit distorted, and it's this idea of self love, right? This there's this like whole entire movement. I have no, I believe that we are all created 
to do incredible things that we should honor ourselves and and use our gifts and our abilities. But there's this whole movement in society right now about self-love. And I don't think it's like actually accomplishing anything. What's your take on it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you know, to have a discussion on any one of these topics that just any hot topic in culture right now, it's it, it's vital that you go back to defining your terms. So when someone says self-love, what do they mean? I would ask them immediately, like, define your term. What is self-love to you? Mm-hmm. Define it. Because self-love to me and self-love to you could be two different things. And then if you jump into the conversation of what you like or don't like or disagree with or agree with, you could be having two separate discussions or arguments. Um, and you're not really you're just talking, you know, past each other. So, you know, going back to one defining your terms, what does that mean? I think the way that culture defines it, and keep in mind culture does not have a conscience. Culture is not moral, okay? Culture is a collection of all of us together, trends that ebb and flow in and out, but in and of itself, it's just this it's just thing that we all combine and are a part of together. And it's a collection of our, con- our, our consequences, our actions. So that's culture. Um, so I, you know, you'd have to say like in culture today, where people, what, when people often use the term self-love, usually I would imagine that um, it would involve something of like me first, right? Mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. And if it's me first, then that contradicts a very large group of people who declare themselves as Christians, right? Or even <laughs> I have some atheist friends who still who also agree with the fact that, like, no, you should you should not be putting yourself yourself first in all situations. I think people get confused a little bit in terms of like, well, if I put everybody else first, then I'm putting myself last, and it's just it's just more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of self-love, once again, you have to define that term because if we just say self-love is fine, then we are we're being okay with any type of behavior that we deem is quote self-love. So for instance, the pedophile who goes and acts on those urges and impulses is just an expressing his self-love. Mm, mm, yeah, so, so it is super dangerous. Right. Exactly, because this is this is where we live. We we live in this. We live in this type of lifestyle where we have this moralistic, you know, therapeutic deism. Where if we even believe in anything higher than ourselves, we believe in a in in a god or a universe that just wants us to be happy and to ha- and to feel love. And so there are no rules, there are no commandments, there are no laws, there's no regulation. It's just do what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And so that mentality breaks down incredibly quick because here's the thing as i've mentioned even before we're all connected we are all connected what you do will affect other people there is not one decision that you will do in your life there's not one decision that you'll make that will only affect just you and until we really you know grasp the concept that we are a human family that are Actions have consequences, and they affect not just us, but the entire you know little groups that we have in our personal life and then beyond. We're going to have a hard time being, you know, engaging in these in these concepts like self love and do whatever makes you feel good, and because it has consequences that can hurt a lot of people. 
Yeah, there was a priest that gave a, a sermon a while back that I heard that really talked about the the distortion of of love. And what what he said was really profound and simple at the same time as it usually is. He said that the problem with love is that everyone is trying to be loved first. And and I I thought, wow, you know, that is so true. We we want to be loved first. And if we if we focused on loving the other first before trying to quote unquote love ourselves, you know, that is the real model for love. Absolutely. That that's exactly what Mother Teresa did. She did not think about each person that she met and thought, I wonder what they can do for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I want to segue into your your time pursuing a modeling career where the idea of love and self-love and what love meant and what beauty meant to you were all different than what they they mean to you now. Or maybe they weren't different, but they were just misunderstood, right? Because truth is always truth and it's there the whole time, but sometimes we distort it. And I was watching last night as preparing for this conversation, I was watching the episode where you were eliminated and it was it was brutal. I mean, I mean, I was just listening to these people. Um, first of all, I was, you know, they have this, they kind of splice back and forth between um, this photo shoot that you're on and the, the photographer is giving you instructions like your eyes are open too wide, which I thought was ridiculous. You know, hold this that way. It's all about emoting in your eyes. And then now you're in the judge's room and you're just being judged for everything that doesn't matter, you know? And, 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 and they're just ripping you apart. And then Tyra Banks ultimately, you know, she, Drops the the what at that time may have been the biggest insult, but right now is like the best compliment is that you just remind her of a soccer mom, you know. And I'm like, you know, I had this revelation that everything that that is about, they're they're all attempting to get you or anybody to tell anyone else's story, but their their your own. So when you think back to your time as a, a as a professional model, what what attracted you to that career? Yeah, I mean, you got to wonder, especially after you know reliving that piece of my elimination on America's Next Top Model. Like, why would anybody want to do that? And it goes back to a very simple desire that you have, that I have, that every person has, is where you want to be loved and you want to be beautiful. Now, I know that you know we all desire beauty. Now, the word beauty and defining it has not been defined correctly in the world. It's been quite distorted. So once again, going back to defining our terms, because that's where we're going to have the baseline, you know, conversations of, of how to kind of move forward. But you know, what attracted me initially is that I wanted to be beautiful and I wanted to be loved. And that is what every human on the planet wants. Now, now when I say beauty, I don't mean that every person wants to like put on a great outfit and walk down the street. That's not the definition of beauty I am working off of. We have distorted beauty to where it's kind of mostly just pertaining to the physical now. But the beauty of the soul, the beauty of someone who is compassionate, who is generous, who forgives, who who dives deep into friendships, that is a beauty that remains with you throughout time. And that is why people who engage in that type of a lifestyle, they have they they have a lot of beauty around them and in them. And we are attracted to them. 
And what attracts us to them is the beauty of their soul, the beauty of their personhood. And so going back, I mean, what attracted me initially was, was, was beauty, was love. And those things are clearly distorted in the world. Like you just talked about self-love. Beauty is distorted in the world. So in the distorted world, the culture that we live in who distorts beauty and love, they've now looked at beauty and love as love being whatever you want to do that feels good. So the way that beauty and love is distorted in the world um, and portrayed in the world is unfortunately what I went after. So um, when the world described beauty and my desire was to be beautiful, they wanted me to look a certain way and to weigh a certain amount and to have a certain look and to wear certain clothes. And so that just meant, well, if you wanted to be beautiful and if you really wanted to take it serious, well, then you would be a model because you know that could be the only thing that a beautiful woman would possibly do to make an impact in the world. Sadly, that is what many women today believe. And so, you know, I think that kind of just brought me to that place of thinking, well, I guess this is what you do if you if you love beauty, if you want to be beautiful, like that's the only job for you to have. Because when you define beauty in such a limited way, well, then it really feels like that would be the only place for you is to be like, you know, a fashion model to go into the fashion or the beauty and industries. And this isn't to say that they're that all models or all people in that profession are distorted or or being led that way. It's just like there is an overarching theme that distorts it, right? Because there there are some people in that space, I would imagine, that are trying to do good given and operate, you know, well and good and and in in the context of truth, beauty and goodness in that space, or would I be wrong? I mean, I think okay, yeah, there's there there's still good people. <laughs> in that space who are trying their best to to maybe be more authentic in that search for beauty. But the fact is the beauty and the fashion industries are built upon our insecurities, especially us women. And they are based on a distorted view of beauty overall. Mm-hmm. If they if they really defined beauty for what it really is for the human person, if it would not be focused on the exterior on something that fades that won't be around forever. Mm. So, mm. so the, I mean, that's the hard truth that nobody likes to hear because it feels like you're not being inclusive. Like, no, everything's fine. I'm sure there's some place in that industry where they fully support um, the person you are over what you look like, and it doesn't matter. I mean, no, that's not the case. Now, there are definitely people who are working in the industry who believe that and are trying to make some positive change and a push towards that in a variety of different av- avenues or create clothing. They There's a lot of designers I know who are trying to actually create clothing that focuses on the whole person rather than clothing that just focuses on parts of a woman, which then ends up um, you know, messing and manipulating with how a woman looks in the world So and objectifies her. So there are absolutely people, good people who have a good sense of, of beauty and, and fashion who are in that industry. But the industry itself is built upon the distorted view of beauty today. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com 
or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. So there's this moment in the story of David versus Goliath, which you know everybody, whether regardless of their faith, has has heard that story before because it's been used in in business as much as as it's been used in the in the in Christendom. But there's this moment before David faces Goliath where he's talking to King Saul and and Saul says you can fight him but you have to wear my armor and he he can't right he can't he so he puts the arm Saul puts the armor on David and David walks around in it and then realizes he's not going to be able to perform his tasks his skills his abilities wearing someone else's armor and i couldn't help but think about that as i was watching you and your your fellow models like being put in these random positions that they're they're constantly they're wearing someone else's armor uh, and someone else's armor be, in this case being the the definition of beauty so how do men and women alike begin to put down the armor that they've worn that doesn't belong to them and take on what does yeah, well, I think that that starts with some with a, with a deep sense and, and a beginning of some self awareness. Like, know who you are. Know who you are. Not what other people think of you. Not what other people say of you. Because you're not responsible for other people's opinions of you, and you don't have to buy into what they say about you. There, you have permission to ignore everyone's opinion about you. And so we need to know ourselves, like know who you are, know who you've been made to be. And even if you're clueless right now, you've got desires and dreams, write them down, figure out what those are, and then figure out if maybe the people around you are keeping you from them or trying to have you change your dream for your life because it would really benefit them over you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is it? What about... Those when you do that exercise, and and one of my mentors says that your dream that dreams are free, so set your dreams free. Um, but one of the exercises that you just mentioned, which is making a list of your goals and seeing who's around you, I think community is a huge um, key to success and to freeing our God given potential, and and it's an important exercise. So, how do you approach saying goodbye to people? That no longer are going to empower you to fulfill who you are created to be. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as I think we we have that we want to make it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to sit down and be like, "Listen, I think you're a terrible person, and I just can't be around you anymore." I mean, it doesn't have to be like that. Now, granted, if these are people that are in, in your life that are not breathing life into your life, if they're keeping you down, if you notice that your mood is not elevated or that you don't think deeper when you're around them, then those are people you shouldn't be spending your your very limited and finite amount of time with. You have only so many minutes in your life before it stops. Mm -hmm. And we don't know when the end is going to be. So Mm. what will you do with your minutes? What will you do with your minutes? And you know, if if the excuses are like, I don't have time, I I just don't buy it. I don't buy that. We have the same 24 hours as everybody else. 
I have the same 24 hours that Jesus had when he was here on earth, 24 hours. So what am I going to do with my life to make it count and make it worth, make it worth it and make that impact? And I think that if there are people in your life that you are questioning if they are a good influence, the fact is you have to own your life and take responsibility for it. And you get to choose who you spend your minutes with. Mm. You know, that is a perfect segue into the fork in the road moment that you have where you had to say goodbye to one community and step back into another. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question about, do you know the name of the most photographed woman in history? I do. Who is it? Mother Teresa. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, uh, I was just—I actually had that written down in my in my notes to see if you knew that. But it's, so it's amazing that you you knew that, and there's a reason why she is. It's because she represented. She represents everything that we should aspire to, and why people were so curious about what she was doing and wanted to document it. Yeah, I mean, she she's. I, I yes, I talk about this often in, in my own presentations, especially on beauty, uh, because the most photographed in the world, as we know, Mother Teresa. But it wasn't people think like it wasn't some royalty, it wasn't Princess Diana, it wasn't a supermodel. This was this was a person who loved unconditionally, and that was beautiful. That's why photographers and magazines were so attracted because she lived this countercultural life. And she didn't give two craps of what people thought about her. She didn't care if she had a thigh gap or not. She didn't care that she had wrinkles everywhere. She didn't care that she was she got shorter and shorter every single year because her back was hunched over because of all the people that she bent over to help in Calcutta. Those things didn't matter because she knew that her minutes mattered of how she was going to spend them on Earth. And mm. that was beautiful. Mm, that is beautiful. Yeah, no, I mean, it, she's a remarkable woman and and someone that we should all model in in a true sense of that word right because she ultimately modeled Christ too right so uh so she was a living version of that during our lifetime which is pretty profound now going back to saying goodbye to one community and hello to another can you tell us about your fork in the road moment where you decided you know what i am done with this career this this is no longer this is never been who I am created to be, and and it's time for me to move on. Yeah, it, it's now that the way you phrased it sounded sound make it sounds like I had so much clarity at this moment. And for the <laughs> record, <laughs> I did not, and so I want to be fully transparent about that. Now, I did have a sense at this moment that I'll share, where I I realized, no, this is not my dream for me. Why am I living someone else's dream? Why am I living someone else's plan for my life? And that was huge. I had clarity in those statements and those feelings and thoughts. But what happened was I was modeling in New York. It's after America's Next Top Model. I'm still living in New York pursuing my modeling career. And I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm making money. There's a comment in my paycheck. So I'm thinking I'm doing all right. And you know the show is on. So there's pictures and the billboards in New York and on the side of taxi cabs and subways because they're still promoting America's Next Top Model. So I have a lot of recognition at that point to kind of use that platform to move into the modeling world. And so I'm thinking that that's what I should do. And I'm in the middle of this photo shoot on this particular day in early April. And this is back in 2005. But 
I was in the middle of this photo shoot and it just, this, this moment happened. Uh, we were changing sets and changing outfits. I get back into this new, new outfit and they take a Polaroid picture of me just to like, make sure that the lighting is correct. And they let me see it and I give it back and then I'm getting ready to get back into the shoot. And it was the moment when the photographer took the first picture um, as we started back up that I looked straight into the flash of the camera, which is a rookie move, I know. But uh, I end up having to like put my finger up and turn off, turn my head to the side so I can blink and regain my focus. But in the process of blinking and regaining my focus, I ended up seeing the picture of myself inside my head as if it was the Polaroid picture that I just seen of myself. And it was like this little movie was playing. and. It was just me standing there and I had my hands cupped together and I was raising them up as if I was giving them to some someone. And then I looked down to see what was in them and they were completely empty. There was just nothing in them. And I heard five words on my heart that just said, I made you for more. Mm. And I, it was repeated over and over. I made you for more. And I remember shaking my head being like, this is nuts. Like, no, no. And keep in mind, just, I mean, I was born and raised with, 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 with the faith, but for, at this point, for the past 10 years, I abandoned my faith. I was not practicing at all. I was not praying, no church going, nothing, like zero. It's not that I, it's not that I didn't believe anymore. I just didn't think that it was for me and there wasn't a space for me in church. It's not for people like me. So uh, not for people with my past and my mistakes. So like, I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna go, go, go there. If, if it's a, if it's a, if it's about a party that where I feel like I'm not invited, I'm not even going to try to open up the doors. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of thought about church and faith. And so I had, you know, I wasn't practicing any type of faith or like involved in faith at all at this point. So this experience was very um, alarming for me. And, but there was, there was this, deep sense of truth. And it drew me in when I heard that I made you for more. And all this happened in about 60 seconds. I remember the photographers just snapping his fingers saying, Leah, come on, let's, let's get back into the shoot. And I remember just looking up at him and like looking at the whole set and seeing everybody and all the assistants and the lighting and the wardrobe and the stylist. And I'm like, what is this? This is so fake. This is not real. And all of this money, all of these resources are going into the opportunity to exploit and object me as a woman and my body for the world. And I just obviously felt very wrong about that. And I just thought, this is not how I want to be known. And I am more than a pretty picture. I am more than a pretty girl um, by the standards of the world. And so I got up and I just said, I have to go. And they were like, very confused. I started off saying really nice things like, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. All the girls feel this way in the beginning. You'll get used to it. And I remember thinking in my head, like, I never want to get used to being used. Mm. And that's what this is. It's like, I am being used. I'm being used by you to put on clothes from a certain designer so that they can be put into a magazine. They don't care who the girl is. They just want their clothes sold. And so I'm a puppet and I really don't want to be a puppet anymore for, for you. And um, I ended up walking out and their comments began to get a little bit more dicey. And um, I remember as I walked out, as I got to the door, uh, one of the photographers said, if you leave, you'll be a nobody. 
And I uh, ended up turning around and I just said to him, do you promise? And he just looked at me like I had seven heads. And I was like, no, do you promise? And then he just said nothing. And I ended up walking out. I walked out and I began to say to myself, you've made yourself a nobody by believing in the dreams of other people for you. Mm. Like you don't own your dreams. You don't own what your plan for your life, Leah, because you just are allowing the world to speak for you. Like, and whatever happened in my heart, and I do truly believe it was a good spiritual moment and God was speaking to me and it wasn't the result of a bad ham sandwich. Um, <laughs> but I do believe that. And, and, and I just thought, listen, I knew from my faith, I knew what I was taught as a girl, God loves you and he has a plan for you. And I just remember feeling like I've abandoned his love and I have not listened to his plan in about a decade. And I, I think maybe I should give him another shot. Mm. And with that, I just walked all the way home um, to my apartment in New York in the Lower East Side. And I did, you know, the only thing a girl could do, I ended up calling my dad and asking him for some help and to come get me. And as a good dad, um, my dad just responded with, okay, baby, I'm coming to get you. And he drove over 2,000 miles to come pick me up. Wow. I just got chills. I just got chills. Yeah. I have a really good dad. I have a really, really, really good dad. That's that's awesome. Yeah. The uh, there's so much about we could talk about like good parenting, right? Um, and about the value of having parents and and or having role model. If you don't have good parents, about putting yourself in a position to have good role models to to lean on. But there are a lot of people that that would go walk out of that room and would have no one, right? Maybe they didn't have a, a good upbringing. And, and like you said, you, you, you made that decision, but you didn't necessarily have complete clarity. And there was a, probably a period of time where you still felt kind of alone, right? Oh, yeah. For a long time. Um, make no mistake about it. I didn't like walk out of that photo shoot and be like, wow. Now that that's over, I now have a plan for my life. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do to make my impact in the world. And <laughs> no, not at all. You know, and that's that's where you have to be before you make the make the impact. You've got to be uncomfortable. You got to hit that low of whatever it is where you begin to question what's going on, what have you been doing, what needs to change, how you need to recalibrate for you to get to that next level. And it's the periods of time when we're uncomfortable where we, where we have the potential for so much personal growth. But the problem is that most people, when they feel uncomfortable, they quit. And they go back to the comfort because they are so uncomfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have to power through. It's in those moments when things get really crappy where you've got to keep going and you've got to keep pushing through and in a sense, do that spiritual hustle. So that you can get to that next level of realizing, you know, what you've been made to do. And, and what you've been made to do as a Christian is not necessarily an action of what you're doing. You've been made to be loved by God. You've been made to, to be His. And so what you need to do, what, what you've been made to do is surrender. Surrender to Christ and His love and His mercy for you. And so... As a Christian, for me, I knew like that first step of what do I have to do when I walk out of that 
photo shoot after I called my dad for help. And praise be to God, I did have somebody to actually call is I needed to surrender my life and my heart to Christ Jesus. I needed to say, listen, I have tried it my way too long. It's not working. I need some help. And it started with just admitting my own faults, admitting where I'm at and just basically saying, I'm sorry. Mm. Mm. The power of forgiveness. Yeah, mercy is, it's everything. It's everything. I mean, think about how your relationship and your own personal life have changed because someone had the courage to come up to you and say, I've hurt you and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I don't want to hurt you again. That is life-changing. It's life-changing. Actually, one of the um, one of the, my great friends and a fan of the show and a fan of yours who is a, a missionary, full-time missionary for an organization called Focus, and she's a mother of four and married to an awesome dude named Zeke, she actually submitted a question for you specifically about the role forgiveness has played in your business and personal relationships. So maybe you can Ooh. elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the role that it's played in my personal life, I think I've just kind of initially talked about it. It's like, it's everything. There's no way that I could come back into my faith or just come back to my life to face my family and um, even old friends without the experience of mercy, of forgiveness. And granted, I needed to, I needed to experience that with Christ, but I also needed to experience that and and offer that and give that and receive it from I mean, the fact that I was forgiven for my life, my crazy, insane, disordered, unhealthy life, and having that forgiveness from Christ, it empowers me and reminds me that everyone's worth forgiveness. Now, keep in mind, when I say that, I think it's really important that I'm not saying that that we look at this, and I'm not saying that we should be a doormat for people just to walk all over us and hurt us time and time again and be like, well, you know... I'll forgive you. And if you want to hurt me again, that's great. Then I'll just keep forgiving you. Forgiveness is what we're called to, but we should never make an allowance for somebody who is hurting us. And you have to create proper boundaries in your life for that. But I mean, yeah, mercy is everything. It always goes back to mercy because mercy is one side of the coin and the other side is love. So it's mercy and love, and they just go hand in hand. As you're transitioning from this one community into another community, one of my mentors, the one that you were meant to be on and part of this whole time, one of my mentors has always said, his name is Kevin Hall. He said um, that when you get on path, you will meet others who have been waiting there for you all along, right? Which I, I love that, um, that, that image. And so who have become some of your greatest champions as you've been stepping into and leaning into who you are created to be? Like mentors? Is that, is that what you Mentors mean? or just you know, people that have, have held you up and, and, and helped you accomplish all that you were meant to accomplish. Oh, geez. There's so many. There's so many. There's definitely a few really good, amazing, faithful, solid priest, um, Father Michael O'Loughlin, who has just been with me for a long time and um, speaks truth to me and doesn't hold back and just loves unconditionally like a good father should. 
there's obviously my family, like my mom and my dad, who are so gentle and kind. And they didn't push my transformation quickly. They allowed it to unfold in God's time and not on theirs. And so those are the people that I've noticed are the ones who are really the true blue friends. They allow you to journey in that time that you need. They don't push you into the next season when you're not ready. They're always willing to speak truth to you and aren't afraid to do that. They're not afraid to ask hard questions, but they also don't rush you into your own life. And so, yeah, like that's just always been like, I've noticed that around about my friends. Krista Fanick, uh, who is a Catholic speaker and um, entrepreneur in his own right, he has become a very good friend to me. Uh, and we've been friends now for over 10 years or so. And he and his wife, Natalie, are, I mean, Ricky, my husband, Ricky and I, we are very close with them. And Chris is somebody that I can always call and be like, listen, um, I can, you know, share life with him. I can share, you know, my marriage with him. I can share my kids with him, like all of that piece. Like he knows all those stories. He's so close to Ricky and I, he and Natalie. But what I love about Chris too, is that he's come, he's always affirming just who we are. And, and he says that he, you know, we had these great conversations. And I remember at one point when I first started this work that I do now with motivational speaking and, and writing and a lot of other things now. But when I first began, I was at a conference and I was seeing all of these big name people, all these speakers, and they're on the big stage and they're have all, they have like the tens of thousands of crowds and they're giving these talks and they've got PowerPoint and everything's timed perfectly. And they're, it just seems so, smooth and I was like giving a small breakout talk at this conference and um and my talk wasn't and it didn't look anything like that and I I I decided you know what I I want to get better at my craft I feel called to this work and so I just went up to Chris and I'm like listen hi uh, my name's Leah I know you, we don't know each other but blah 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 and I said listen I saw your talk I saw someone else's talk and I love how you guys are always, you have like all these slides and everything. And I kept going on and on. I'm sure he already knew what I was going to ask him. And I was just like, what can I do to get better? And he just, he had, he was like wrangling his kids. He had all of his kids around him. And he was like, he just looked at me and he's like, we don't need another Christophanic. We just need Leah Darrow. He's like, you just need to be you when you're speaking. You don't need a slide to, to make your point. You don't need all the extra technology if what you're saying is from your heart and if it's true. And that was really big for me to hear that because I I I knew that, that he was right. And it allowed me, it, it gave me permission to be me. And so that was how our friendship started and uh, and still is to this day. He's always mm. very honest. Mm. I love that. that. That's really powerful. You know, the, the, I think the... Um... I think there's this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that basically says something to to the effect of, you know, be the best version of yourself because everybody everybody else is already taken. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You are on this mission to help, in particular, women help their God-given potential and light shine. And you've created something to help facilitate that. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, we, I just started this new initiative. It's called Lux University. 
It's a first of its kind online uh, membership site for um, training and coaching by me uh, for Catholic women to be informed, inspired, and empowered in their faith. So it, it, I'm really excited about it. Um, we offer bite-sized lessons on uh, theology. We offer this great community, this global community of Catholic women all around the world where we can go in, ask honest you know, questions and get honest answers and just know who we are, know who we are within Christ and then know our place in the world and that we need to speak up and be a voice in the world of Christ and be his light. And how do people get... Where do they go to find more information about that and learn a little bit about how they can be involved? Absolutely. So you can get everything um, on my website, leadero.com. If you'd like, you can go to theluxuniversity.com. Lux is L-U-X. But yeah, you can go there. Um, if enrollment, if registration is closed, you can get on the wait list. I only open it up twice a year so that I can personally walk with women in their journey. And uh, yeah, it's I'm really excited about this one. I, I I pray to God that it blesses people and helps us really learn what it means to be to be a woman in the world. And if people want to connect with you elsewhere or maybe invite you to come speak to their organization, where could they go to do that same place, your Leodero website? Yeah, absolutely. They can just go to leodero.com and you can go to the speaking tab and it's got all the information there for you. And are all of your social media profiles and everything on there as well and links to your podcast and all that stuff? Oh yeah, it's all okay. there. You can find me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I usually hub. hang out. It is. I usually find. I usually hang out more on Instagram if you like to connect um, on social. So you can find me there. And then I, I always conclude each episode with the same three questions, whether it's Lou Holtz or John O'Leary or Leah Darrow or whomever it is. And so the first question is: If you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower. What would it be? Mm, evangelization. Mm. Evangelization, like to 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 share the good news with the world in the way that <laughs> people would open up their hearts and take down their walls of defensiveness or maybe their hurt pain of why they don't want to receive truth, which is understandable, I know. And to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, that is absolutely what I would love to do. I love that. You know, the, the thing that the thing that's difficult about truth, I just had this kind of revelation last night, is that truth doesn't have room for an opinion. No. And that's hard because yeah. we are a culture where we think our opinion matters more than the other person's opinion. Right. And so you have to submit yourself and surrender to the reality that there is a higher truth. And if you live by that, it actually frees you more. Mm -hmm. We think sometimes truth is going to keep us from freedom, but it's the one thing that unlocks our the greatest freedom we can experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that there is a higher truth, and it's not you. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> what are three lies? Speaking of truth, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full potential? Yeah, the three lies are: I'm not good enough. I don't have time and it's too hard. Hmm. Which one did you battle with? What, which one do you battle with most today? Probably, I don't have time. I probably battle personally with that one the most, where I just feel like, oh, just one more thing I have to add to my day. But then I look at my day and I'm like, Leah, suck it up. What have you wasted time on? Mm -hmm. Like, you didn't need to be on your phone doing the Instagram post. That was, that was, that was pointless. 
And so when I add up all of that time, I realized I could have done the one thing I needed to do that was truly worthy of my time. Yes. So yes. I try to protect my time fiercely, fiercely, because um, no one's going to care about your dreams more than you. And so you have to protect the time that it takes to achieve those dreams. I am a huge fan of the 168-hour method. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. So there's, there's 168 hours in, in a seven-day week. And I'll, I'll email this to you and you can use it and share it with your crew as well. But I created this spreadsheet. And some I, I'm not taking credit for this because somebody else taught it to me. But you basically come up with a 12-hour um, schedule and you allocate, you, you budget. You know, this is what I this is what I do during this time to this time, and so we all sleep about fifty four to fifty five hours on a week, right? So that means that there's roughly one hundred and ten hours that we have to to work with, and let's say that there's forty hours of that are work, right? Well, what are we doing with the other sixty hours? Yeah, yeah, you know. And and so and, and a lot of them. And if, if if anybody wants to just give themselves a little honesty test right now, after you're done listening to this episode, you can go to your battery profile on your iPhone or your tablet or whatever you are use the most, and you can see how much of your battery is being used by social media. And it's really convicting of of how much time. Uh, you you are you are wasting. It's an examination of conscious. <laughs> it is, and we we need to we need to be aware, have that self awareness. It's so important, like you said, to find out like where the time is going. What I hear what I hear often from people who come and ask me for consulting work for like businesses and and how to become a speaker or an entre, you know entrepreneur in this type of work that I'm doing is the I usually hear like if I just had just two more hours a day, I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. I just need two more hours a day and then I can do it. And I'm just like, you know what? I bet you I, I bet you, I won't find two hours in your day. I bet you I can find six that you are wasting and that you're not using. And then, and then, and then you don't have the excuse anymore. So 100%. like, what is the excuse? You know, and like, we often say I don't have time or that it's too hard. But the, but the excuse that's behind all of those is I'm scared. I'm scared. 100%. Of what would happen if I became who I was supposed to become. Mm-hmm. I'm scared of what would happen if I actually achieved my dreams. And until we face those fears and then knock it out of the park and then be able to see things like, okay, the practicals of how do I schedule my time, um, we're not going to make progress until we do those things. That is why the slogan for my show is Brace for Impact, because when you come into an encounter with who you are created to be and who the other person is created to be, things are going to happen. You know, uh, impact is going to be made. Trajectories are going to be altered, and you know, you better buckle in because it's going to be a wild ride. The That's last right. question. Last question. Uh, actually, before we get to the last question, you got to tell me what your favorite art form is because it's part of the last question. So, what's your favorite art form? My favorite art form: music, hmm. dance, poetry, sculpture. I would say, I'd say my first one's probably music, and my second would would, would actually be um, art. Like, like I love going to museums and learning the stories behind the art and why the painter painted in such a way. So, 
Um, I don't get to do the the second one as often, but the first one, music, I incorporate every single day. All right. Well, I'll I'll get I'll let you answer this question using either music or painting. Um, If you, it's a hundred years from now, and you've left a set of instructions for either a composer or a an artist to to come up with a piece that encapsulates the answer to the question, how will Leah Darrow measure her life? What would those instructions include? I probably would just offer a picture of my family and say, talk to them. Mm, I love the simplicity of that. Yeah, I think that's what I do. Hmm. Leah Darrow, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It has been an absolute blast having you and hearing your little kiddos in the background. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I am a mother of four, so there's always a uh, soundtrack of children behind me in all of my work. In, in, in my house, we call it the chorus of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I think I might use it. That's good. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.